Hello and welcome back. This is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is Great Big History Podcast. Today we do part two of African slavery. We do the results. And uh, let's get right into it. The, re the major result of African slavery is the invention of racism. Racism didn't exist before the 1500s. That doesn't mean everybody loved each other and thought of each other as the same. That's not true. But there was a culturalism. You were Greek or you weren't. You were Roman or you weren't. You were a Jew or you were a Gentile. I mean, we even use that, those terms today. That's how the world was broken down. You were either part of us or you weren't. If you were part of us, you were awesome. If you weren't, you suck. Innovations of the Greeks, especially the Romans, said, hey, you suck, but guess what you, you can do? You could become like us. If you spoke Greek, if you acted Greek, you could become kind of Greek, even if you couldn't vote in the democracies. But you could be accepted as a Greek. In Rome, you could become Roman. The best example of this is St. Paul who is Jewish, but also had Roman citizenship. He is a Roman. He was a Roman citizen, even though he's also Jewish. So the Romans, through their concept of natio, N-A-T-I-O, was the idea that you can become us, and you become just awesome like us. You could become Roman. And the Christians pick that up. This is one of those ways Christianity is different than Judaism. Judaism saw itself as the chosen people. Well, it didn't want to share that. Because if it shared that, then if everybody's the chosen people, then nobody's the chosen people. Christianity, on the other hand, said had the Roman concept of natio, because Christianity is a Roman religion. And it says, hey, everybody can become Christian and be awesome. If you love Jesus, if you follow the rules and you take a bath— you're good. You say you love Jesus and you take a bath, you're a Christian. Boom. Done. All you need. And so what happens in the early days of African slavery is the tension between that. Because in the Spanish world, the Catholic Church is very powerful, especially in 1500. When it's being run by the, quote, very Catholic king, and queen of Spain. Very Catholic is an important part of that title. And it was part of the official title. And so what happens is African slaves get off the boats in the New World. And the priests are there and the priests go, hey, these people have to be given a right to be Christian. They've never had a chance. They haven't rejected Christianity. They're not the Muslims who reject Christianity. We got to give them some Christianity. And people said, ah, all right. Maybe I'm Christian. And so they go to the people and they say, you have to love Jesus. People go, okay, why would I do that? Well, if you love Jesus, you don't have to be a slave. And they said, oh, great, I love Jesus. Can I go back home now? 
And there's the problem. The Catholic Church had to be allowed to convert people. It was powerful. It was an ally of the king. The king needed the church's support. And so the priests are going to be allowed to convert Africans to Christianity. They have to be. But there's a problem. And that problem is the whole reason to have African slaves was for economic wealth, for economic growth, to do this, to do the plantations, to work the sugar plantations, and to do the mining. And so the moment that they're Christians, they get to be free. If they're free, they're going to want to go home. And what was the whole point of bringing them in the first place? Now, I understand you you could argue, well, then you shouldn't have had slavery in the first place. And there were people, Las Casas, for example, who argued exactly that point. There were people who were slavery is wrong. These are people. Everyone is the same before God. And there were people who argued that. Who said, just sit. We haven't done anything bad yet. We bought slaves from Africa. We've brought them to the new world. We can send them back. And just wash our hands of it. We can, we, we haven't done anything bad yet. And there's arguments. There's arguments to the king in Spain. There's arguments in, in the Vatican. There's arguments of, are these people people? Or are they machines? Are they less than people? And here's the problem. There was so much money to be made. So much money. I mean, money. Like, there is no understand. Like, we think Bill Gates is rich today. That's nothing compared to what sugar could create. There was so much money to be made in the new world. The gold that is going to come out of the mines. I mean, they, the, the mountain of Potosi. P-O-T-O-S-I in Bolivia is literal was anyway at the time a literal mountain of silver. You stuck a shovel in there, you got silver out of it. The wealth of the new world was uncalculable. It is going to fund everything in Europe from wars to the Reformation to universities for the next 500 years. The wealth of America, of Canada, of the, of, of, of the new world is built on the plundering of its resources from the very beginning. There is so much money to be made that the people who argued, yeah, that's great, fine, they love Jesus, we need them to work. 
we need sugar. If we don't have slaves, we don't have sugar. We don't have mining. We don't have gold. We don't have any of that. And you, Mr. King, don't get your 20% cut. And that's the end of the discussion. There was too much money to say no. From the very beginning, slavery was a system built on the exploitation of people by basically not seeing them as people, of treating them as machines, in order for other people to make obscene amounts of money. So slavery is going to exist. Slavery wins. They looked at the money and said, I like that money. With that money, I buy armies and I could beat up the king of France. Or with that money, I could build a university and I could do good things. With that money, I could. With that money. So slavery is going to exist. And the wealth of the world from 1500 on is going to be underpinned by the massive exploitation of both the new world's resources, two continents worth of resources, and another continent's worth of people. So how do we get racism out of this? Well, we can't deny Christianity to these people. That was also part of the deal. They have to be made Christians. But Christians are equal. Not if we change the rules. If we're going to lose by the rules, we change the rules. And we invented something completely new. Racism. This was an answer to the problem of Christianity where all Christians are equal. Now we have to create a class of Christians that aren't equal. How? How can we do that? Uh, Race. Your skin color. That your skin, not your culture, equals value. And that's what racism does. Your value as a person is not based on your culture. The Romans don't care what color you are. Black, green, yellow, red, don't care. If you can speak Latin and say, I am a Roman citizen. Civitas Romanus. I am a Roman citizen. Boom. Didn't care. Black people were weird, sure. But the Romans had no problem hiring them into their infantry, into their cavalry, into their armies, and giving them citizenship. Had no problem with it because culture mattered, not skin color. Racism makes skin color the predominant mode of your value. You are important because you are white or not. Why? Why skin color of all the things? Why skin color? Because one, it makes it natural. Culture can change. Skin color can't. It is natural. It is you come out, you are born, boop, 
your white, your yellow, your red, your green, your blue, your whatever. You are what you are. It is considered part of nature. It is natural. The second thing is it is unchanging, as I've kind of already mentioned. Culture can change. I can learn French. I can become a Muslim. I can practice Buddhism. I can write in Japanese. I cannot change my skin color. No matter how many racist movies in the 80s said otherwise, you can't change your skin color. It is unchanging. And since it's natural and unchanging and it's easily identifiable, you can see what someone is from far away. They're a black person. They're a white person. They're a brown person. You immediately can go in your mind what they are. What are the results? The results are a complete change of culture. Africa moves west. We don't think about it. We call it Latin America. A lot of Latin America isn't Latin. A lot of Latin America is African. The Caribbean, Brazil, where 90% of slaves will go, will create entire places. You go to the Bahamas. You go to Barbados. You go to anywhere in the Les Antilles. You go to Haiti. You go to Cuba. You go to uh, Guyana. You go to Brazil. These are black countries with black African cultures. We get Creole, which is the French plus African. We get entire new cult cultures where African culture is combined with, by Africans, with other cultures to create a new culture. We get voodoo, which is Christianity plus polytheism. All right, we've got Jesus, but we have a whole lot of spirits too. We have a whole lot of other things, and voodoo is the uh, acknowledgement of those kind of forced gods of polytheism. Polytheism doesn't die out. When they become Christians, it gets subsumed. It becomes something new. Music, dance, food. If you've ever been in the Caribbean, you're not eating Spanish food. You're not eating just Spanish flavors. You're eating a whole lot of African food. You're listening to a whole lot of African music. The indigenous peoples in these places died out or were absorbed. They either married into slave groups or married into um, European groups. But for the most part, they are absorbed. Or they're in such small numbers, they don't matter anymore. In Mexico, that's different. In Peru, that's different. But in Brazil... In the Caribbean, they, they, the die-out is so almost complete. 
So what are the results for Europe? So we, we so immediately we have a change in culture. What are the results for Europe? Is the exportation of goods, massive amounts of goods, gold, silver, and sugar go to Europe and are going to fund huge businesses, huge corporations, huge things, massive profits for kings. The kings owned investments in all of these companies that are making this money. The king gets 15, 20% off the top. Before anything, before anything else is figured out, before profits or anything, king gets 15%. It's also massive amounts of profits for merchants. Slavery makes so much money because there is an incessant demand. The demand never ends. You get new industries, sugar, molasses, timber, indigo, tobacco. You get new massive armies in Europe, which are going to now fight with each other. You get more trade. The world gets smaller. Boats get bigger. Corporations become more sophisticated. There's so much more money. A medieval king had is poor compared to even a poor king in 1600 who was engaged in the Atlantic trade. Louis XIV is obscenely wealthy compared to, say, Louis X, Louis IX. And all of this money and all of this trade is going to fund a whole lot of war. From 1500 to 1815 is nearly constant war. My dissertation is on the wars in the 1650s. Why does that matter? Because the Thirty Years' War, which is from 1618 to 1648, is the largest war mankind had fought up to that point. It was the war to end old wars. When they sat down to do the negotiations for peace, they created what's called the Westphalia system of countries and little kings and the balance of power But the whole purpose of that was to never have war again. That war would end. We're going to divide up Europe, and this is the way it's going to be. And five years later, Swedish kings are invading Poland. Why? Because years before that, five years before that, Russian kings were invading Poland. And the Swedish kings were worried that the Russians would conquer all of Poland. So war didn't end. And that was the largest war mankind had fought up to that point. Every country in Europe participated in it in some way, shape, or form and suffered from it. And five years later, there's more war. War never ended. The war to end all wars did not end war. Why? Because there's money to be made on trade. So much money be made and if you could own that trade if you could conquer those territories if you can own those ports you can take your percentage off the top so in Europe 
Gold, silver, sugar made kings rich, made merchants rich, and create an entire new level of capitalism that hadn't existed before. Massive armies, huge corporations, the Dutch East and West India companies are huge and had personal armies and personal navies. What's the results for Africa? Well, Africa becomes impoverished. The first thing is 15 million people were taken out of the economy. That is 15 million people out of West Africa. Remember, another 10 million or so were taken into the Muslim world. So that's 25 million people taken out of the economy and all of their children and all of their children's children. Anything they invent, anything they could have invented is invented somewhere else. Anything, all thoughts that they would have, they had somewhere else. They're taken out of the economy and Africa becomes impoverished. You don't have an economic takeoff despite having these wealthy kingdoms. Like Mali and Songhai and the, the Zanzibar and the kingdoms in the east. You don't have it. Why? Because you have these massive amounts of people who aren't contributing to the African economy. They're contributing to the Caribbean, to the European economy. They were taken out of it. All of their labor, all of their thoughts, all of their possibilities, gone. You get polygamy. Why? Why would you get polygamy? Why would you get one man marrying multiple women? Why? Because slavery carted off mostly men. 75% or so of all slaves are going to be men. So you have the problem of not enough men in these societies. So you get polygamy. Women start marrying men who have wives in order for them to have some kind of husband to be taken care of, to have some kind of economic future or have their children have some kind of economic future. Now, what that does is lead to a generational conflict because young men get frozen out because old men have money, have access to money. Money takes time to develop. And the older you are, the more you have it. Now, what happens in monogamy is men get married and then they're outside the gene pool. They don't compete with other men anymore. They are married. But what if you could marry multiple women? Two, five, twelve, hundred. Then, it, then your limit is on your wealth. And that's going to freeze out other men who are, of course, going to resent being frozen out of the marriage market. So you have generational conflicts between young men and older men. Meanwhile, women are now a pawn. Instead of creating a new family and creating something um, as a partnership in a marriage, they're now the second, the third, the fourth member of a family. They're adding to somebody else's wealth instead of helping to create their own. The third thing we get is more African warfare. And we see this African warfare between cultures and we see this especially between the coast and the interior as the incessant demand for slaves keeps going for the next 300 years, the 
cultures on the coast are going to wage more and more war on the cultures on the interior, suck off that, those people, those resources, and then ship them across the ocean. That leads to the decline of African kingdoms, who now no longer have the people or the wealth or the labor in order to create a large empire that might fight off the Europeans. And so you don't get a large kingdom in Africa again. There's a brief period of time for the Zulus in the 1800s. But that is well into the interior of southern Africa. And a bit of an exception. But for the most, in North Africa, in Northern Africa, in Western Africa, places that had large kingdoms on the Nile, on the Niger, you don't get large kingdoms again. So that when Europeans show up finally to stay in the 1800s, they're like, look at you people. You don't have a country. You don't have kings. You don't have, you're not sophisticated at all. Well, yeah, 300 years of warfare and and the exportation, not even exploitation, exportation of wealth from the interior of Africa to the New World impoverished Africa. Which it is only now beginning to recover from. Because the next hundred years, next from 1830, 20 to 1950 is going to be now the not the not the exportation of people but the exportation of mineral wealth of natural wealth in imperialism so the people are going to be exploited and then exported excuse me and then the mineral wealth is going to be exported for other people to get wealthy on it's only now that african countries african states finally have some kind of control over themselves. And so what happens is we get the 1820s, we get European imperialism in North Africa, which we've just kind of talked about. It ends the African export trade of Africa uh, deciding where it's going to export itself. European imperialism is going to suck African trade to Europe. Previous, for the last thousand years, it had gone mostly to the Middle East. So Europe is going to, by conquering North Africa, is going to change the direction of a lot of those trade routes. In the 1850s, coastal Africa, the Europeans are going to conquer it rather than, they're going to take rather than trade resources up to the 1850s for the most part. They would show up on the coast, trade, take the stuff, put it on boats and leave. Now they're going to take it. They're going to conquer those people on the coast who had been their allies previously and they're going to now take the wealth. In the 1870s, you're going to move into the interior. Mines, rubber. You're going to hire labor. And the whole point of this is for extraction and exploitation. Now, who are you going to hire? Those young men who need money to get married, who hate the old people, the old guys in their societies. They're going to be happy to work for Europeans. Because Europeans pay money. And that money can be used. What's the, what's the result of this? The loss of language. The loss of culture. This is going to be replaced by English, by French, by Portuguese. 
that African cultures are going to be dismissed as unimportant. African languages will be left and forgotten. Will have no future. That what the Europeans do is not only exploit the trade, they're going to exploit the culture as well, and they're just going to level it. And the reason why is racism. It's very simple. It is, we are rich, so we are good, and since we are good, you suck. You're behind us. So here, stop speaking your stupid little language, and now speak English. Now speak French. Speak a real language. Dress in real clothes. Eat with real utensils. And you're just going to, Europeans are going to level African culture and replace it. So Europeans are going to get rich. The new world is going to be exploited. People in the new world will get rich, and we'll talk about that more later. Um, Slaves are going to be used until they are broken and die. Um, Millions of people are going to be pulled out of Africa, leaving Africa impoverished. And we get a new invention, racism, which is still with us and was never a good thing was known to not be a good thing when it was invented, was a necessary evil, and we still can't get rid of it. So, in our next episode, we're going to talk about another people, the Ottoman Turks, who are going to play a big story in our 1500 to 2000. They also start before 1500, um, but they're still with us. The Turks are still with us. And the decline of the Ottoman Empire, the rise of the Ottoman Empire is going to affect uh, much of our story in the future. And the decline of the Ottoman Empire is going to affect our World War I, World War II um, dramatically. So we'll to- we have to talk about them. So that's what's happening next. Okay, thank you. <laughs>